0: Right well we're continuing in uh, 1 Peter uh, chapter 3 and last uh, week those who were here will remember we were looking at verse 8 of that chapter where Peter said finally all of you have unity of mind sympathy brotherly love a tender heart and a humble mind and we saw that having previously addressed Christian citizens uh Christian slaves or servants Christian wives and Christian husbands Peter then went on to address all of you uh, and by that he meant every member of the church he meant the whole Christian community he was describing how we are to relate to one another uh, in our life together as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ um and in verse 8, he did that by giving five, if you like, features or, or traits that should characterize us together as believers in Christ unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. And we noticed that that wasn't just a, a straightforward list, but it was actually presented in a, a chiastic structure. Uh, and we saw that the the central idea in that chiastic structure was brotherly love that was at the very heart uh, of what should characterise us uh, as his people but such brotherly love consists of of unity of mind uh, which depends on us each having a humble mind and it also depends on sympathy uh, which depends on us each having a tender heart. So we were thinking about how we relate to one another within the body of Christ. Moving on to verse 9, as we're going to do this evening, Peter goes on to say, Do not repay evil for evil, or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called, that you may obtain blessing so having spoken about how believers in christ are to relate to one another within the christian community peter's now really talking about how we are to respond to hostility that we that will come our way from those outside uh, of the christian community and that's very much a a key theme throughout peter's letter Uh, you remember, he, he began by addressing his readers as sojourners, or strangers, or, or exiles. Uh, right at the outside, he, he, at outset, he recognised that believers in Christ are, if you like, outsiders. We don't fit comfortably in this present world. We're, we're, we're sojourners or, or strangers. In, in chapter 2, verse 11, he said, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles... Again, emphasising that we live in, if you like, alien territory. We're surrounded by a a hostile environment. And so he went on in verse 12 of that chapter to say, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honourable, so that when they speak evil against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. You see, he didn't say, if they speak against you, it was when they speak against you, you know. He was saying, "They will." He fully expected that to happen. That's what they were to expect in in this hostile world. It goes with the territory of being a believer in Christ. In, in chapter three, verse sixteen, is going to go on to speak uh, to them of when you are slandered. Again, it's not if you're slandered. It's not. If it so happens that you're slandered. No, it's when it will happen. Uh, expect that to happen. And then in chapter 4, verse 4, uh, he'll say, And they malign you. Uh, not they might malign you. No, they do it. Peter's readers were experiencing it. They were being maligned. Peter was very realistic about the hostility that we can expect. To receive from the surrounding society, uh, if we're believers in Christ. So the question is, how are we to respond to such hostility? And that's what Peter's addressing here in verse nine. Uh, When I first looked at that verse, I very quickly came up with three neat points, uh, complete with alliteration, and I was really, really chuffed with myself. Uh, point one was requirements which you see in the words do not repay evil for evil or revi- reviling with reviling but on the contrary to uh, on the contrary bless point two was reason which you see in the words for to this you were called uh, point three was result uh, we see that in the words that you may obtain a blessing and then just as a, a bonus um, in verses uh 10 to 12 really all uh, all underpin that by referring to Psalm 34. So the fourth point could have been reference. So four nice, neat (coughs) R's. However, nice and neat though that was, I very quickly became to realise that um, that outline, although neat and pleasing, was uh, oversimplistic and didn't really represent what Peter's really saying here so um you know word of warning to us all never n- never twist the word of god to fit your ni- fit your nice neat structure it must always be the other way around if you if you've got good points that fit the text that's great use them but uh, mustn't be allow ourselves to be swayed by such niceties so those nice neat points uh, have been uh, abandoned Um at the very heart of verse 9 we have what I think are the key words, to this you were called. So it's very clear that Peter's saying that believers in Christ have been called. And, and you notice the, the past tense there. Uh, you know, he's saying you have been called. It's something that, that has happened to you if you are a believer in Christ. And the, the question really is, uh, in continuing in the context of verse 9, to what is Peter saying? We have been called. Well, he says to this you have been called. But what is this? What, what does he mean by this? What is this referring to? Uh, when you read the commentators, you'll, you'll find that they invariably point out that, that grammatically that word this could be looking back to what he'd just been saying Or it could be looking forward to to what he was about to say. So if it's looking back, then this would be referring to do not repay evil for evil, or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. So so Peter would then be saying, we've been called to not repay evil for evil, but rather to bless. If on the other hand, uh, this is pointing Forwards, then Peter would be saying that we've been called uh, uh, that, that uh, we've been called that you may obtain a blessing. So Peter would then be saying that we've been called to something in the future, something that we look forward to, a blessing uh, that is to be obtained. So is P- Peter saying that we've been called to be a blessing here and now? Or is he saying that we've been called uh, to receive a blessing at some point in the future? And when you read the commentators, you find that they invariably plump for one or other of those options. Uh, Some go one way, some go the other. But they all seem determined to choose one. And it, it seems to me that the whole point here is that both are true and both hang together. And I think we can see that to be the case if we look at the ways in which Peter uses the word called in other occasions throughout the letter. In chapter 1 verse 15 he said, But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. So that's telling us that as believers in Christ we've been called by He who is holy, that's clearly referring to God. Uh, So we've been called by God himself uh, and that suggests that we've been called to to holy conduct. It refers to the way in which we live our lives now. It refers to our lives here and now in this world. In 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 9, Peter said, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood a holy nation of people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvellous light and that tells us what God's called us from he's called us out of, of darkness he's called us out of a, an old sinful way of life that was dominated by a, a sinful a fallen nature but he also tells us what he's called us to and he's called us into this marvellous light that is he's called us to a life of holy conduct again that that's to be lived here and now Uh, 1 Peter 2 verses 18 to 21 uh, Peter says servants be subject to your masters with all respect not only in in the in the good and gentle but also to, to the unjust for this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin, you are, you are beaten for it, and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps, so here it's talking about us having been called to endure just suffering and thereby uh, unjust suffering rather than thereby uh, following in christ 's footsteps he's talking about being called to live a christ like life so once again uh, it's about how we live here and now, so so far it looks as though Peter always goes one way on this question doesn't it but then if you look at 1 peter chapter 5 verse 10 he's going to go on to say and after you have suffered a little while the god of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in christ will himself restore confirm strengthen and establish you so that's talking about having been called to something eternal that's talking about having been called uh, to something that's glorious in the future. It's looking beyond this life. So when Peter speaks of us having been called, yes, he's speaking of the fact that we have been called to something here and now. We've been called to uh, a Christ-like way of life now. But we've also been called to something in the future the the point that he's stressing is that they go hand in hand uh, that they go together you can't have one without the other they are linked so you can't be called to his eternal glory in Christ without having also been called to a holy Christ-like life here and now so as we consider uh, what he says in verse 9 we'll simply um, consider what, what we see here about what we are called to in the present and what we are called to in the future so firstly let's look at what we are called to in the present um, you see at the beginning of verse 9 we really find a, a, a negative requirement and a positive requirement for us as believers in Christ That the, the negative requirement is do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling and the positive requirement is but on the contrary bless so firstly let's look at the negative requirements uh, by do not repay evil for evil he really means don't re- retaliate or or responding kind when people wrong you or seek to harm you it's referring to harmful actions uh, directed against you don't respond in kind. By reviling, he's really talking about, uh, if you like, insults. Um, he's mentioned harmful actions against you. And now he's also adding abusive or disparaging comments or, or remarks. It's the way people speak to you or, or about you. Again, the requirement is that when that happens, we're not to respond in kind. Now why does he mention this evil being done against you and this reviling well that's because that's what believers in Christ can regularly expect mistreatment and, and verbal abuse were were often meted out to, to believers in his day it was a a, a real a, a real situation they, they were put to shame and publicly discredited because they were perceived as as being different now the normal natural response to that sort of attack uh, from the surrounding culture would be retaliation wouldn't it? Defend yourself it would be to to respond in kind repaying evil for evil and reviling for reviling is what people would naturally do tit for tat give as good as you get Get your own back. That that would be the natural reaction, the natural response. But you see, just as we saw last time that the relationships between fellow believers uh, are to be very countercultural, well, so we now see that uh, response to uh, to hostile uh, attacks and so on for, from unbelievers is also to be very countercultural. We don't follow the norm. We don't do what society would expect. You know, Peter was really saying, "Don't be like them. They might treat you badly, but don't do as they would do. Don't be like them. Don't follow their example." He's saying, "Don't repay evil for evil as they do, and don't repay reviling for uh, for reviling as they do." I find that Paul mentions exactly the same principle. If you look at Romans twelve seventeen. He says there, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honouring in the sight of all. Where did Peter and Paul get this strange idea from? Well, Peter's already mentioned, hasn't he? Jesus as, as the example of behaving in that way. Back in chapter two twenty three, speaking of Jesus, he said, when he was reviled... He did not revile in return. When he suffered he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. You see, Jesus himself followed the, the, the teaching that he had given to his own followers, his own disciples on the Sermon on the Mounts. Uh, Matthew five, thirty eight to thirty nine, he said, You have heard that it was said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth but I say to you do not resist the one who is evil but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek turn to him the other also you know he's he's saying you have heard that it was said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth and in saying that he wasn't just uh, just uh, copying a, a Sort of the, the, the common wisdom of the day, if you like, or, or a, a sort of a customary saying of the day, he was quoting the law of Moses. You'll find it Exodus twenty one twenty four, again Leviticus twenty four twenty, and Deuteronomy nineteen twenty one. That was straight out of the law of Moses. So, so this idea of retaliating in kind when wronged it wasn't a specifically Greek or Roman attitude it wasn't just a true of the society of Peter's day in the Greek and Roman world it prevailed in Old Testament Jewish society as well it was in keeping with the God given law of Moses and yet Jesus as God made man had You could say the audacity. It would seem like audacity to to, to contradict that with the words, but I say. I'm saying this. He spoke that with with his own authority. This was radical teaching, but he authoritatively uh, required a completely different response. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also, Jesus spoke that with with authority, and you know we've been looking at Hebrews, haven't we? And the, the opening verses of of Hebrews speaks of God speaking in the past through the prophets uh, many times and many various ways, but in these last days I have spoken by my Son. There's there's finality, there's authority in. Jesus, the Son of God you can think of um, on the Mount of Transfiguration when Jesus appeared with Moses and Elijah, representing the law and the prophets and what did the voice of God coming down from heaven say uh, as he looked down on that scene speaking of Jesus he said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased listen to him you see what he was saying you've got Moses you've got the prophets but Jesus is the one who if you like trumps them all he's, he's the ultimate word he is my ultimate word and so Jesus could say well the, the law of Moses said this but I say and what he says is ultimately what matters he is uh, the, the word of God made flesh so he's our authority so he says uh, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek turn to him the other also Um, now to our 21st century western ears that probably sounds as though he was saying be a doormat be be a, a, a shrinking violet don't stand up for yourself in any way whatsoever but you see, when you understand the, the cultural norms of Jesus' day, you realise that it it wasn't quite like that. Um, firstly, we need to recognise that, although most versions actually use the word strikes rather than slaps, but the, the ESV has slaps, and it's quite correct in saying that. Uh, the Greek word does actually mean strike with the palm of the hand. So that, that in my book is a slap. So it, it is, he's saying slap. And then, I don't know if it's ever struck struck you, but Jesus specifically spoke of being slapped uh, on the right cheek. Was that just arbitrary? Or, Or was there significance in that? Well, I think it was significant. You see, if someone slaps your right cheek, they must do so with their left hand. Now, I won't ask you to turn to the person sitting next to you and and try slapping their right cheek to to prove to yourself that you need your your left hand to do it because you do. It it means using your left hand and in in that culture a superior would often inflict a left-handed slap on the face of an inferior. It might be a a master who would slap his slave in that way, it might be a husband his wife, uh, it might be an adult his child, it might be a, a Roman a Jew, but that was the, the cultural norm. It, it was it was a way of saying you're my inferior. Now equals, well, they fought each other with with their fists, and led led with their right hand. And there was, a, there was honour in that, that they might be trying to beat the living daylights out of each other, but in fighting in that way, they showed a certain respect, that they, they acknowledged one another uh, as, as equals. That showed respect for one another, but a left-hand slap was a sign of superiority and disdain, of contempt almost, of, a, of an inferior. So when Jesus said turn to him the other also, he wasn't only saying, don't retaliate in kind. I mean, he was saying that. Obviously, he was, he was saying, don't retaliate. But you see, he was also encouraging an act, if you like, of nonviolent defiance. You see, if you turn your left cheek towards a, a so-called superior, then he'd have to use his right hand to slap you. And then, if you like, he'd be acknowledging you as an equal. And he wouldn't want to do that. So, in a very subtle way, although Jesus' teaching was against violent retaliation, he wasn't calling for weak capitulation. Turning the other cheek isn't merely being passive, it's a a non violence but not non resistance way of responding. It confronts, or or highlights the wrong that's being done but it does so in a a non-violent way so we we need to think how we apply that in in our lives, don't we Um, we're not not to respond in kind we're not to retaliate but we do need to respond in ways that make it quite clear that you're not being reasonable here, that this isn't something that, that should be accepted now if we're Jesus' followers then we're called to follow his teaching and his example so we won't go on to repay evil for evil and reviling for revealing uh, reviling for reviling and that's that's not easy Um, it's not easy to not retaliate whether it be verbally or or physically when we're being mocked or or belittled or, or insulting but you see the requirement gets even harder than that we're not only to to not respond in that way um, that's not enough it, it goes on with the positive requirements uh, but on the contrary bless this goes beyond suffering in silence doesn't it it's beyond enduring suffering without retaliating we're, we're to bless we're, we're to positively do good uh, Do good for the person who is treating us badly. Paul says the same thing in 1 Corinthians 4, 12-13. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and still are like the scum of the world, the refuge of all things. You see, believers in Christ are not, uh, not to just not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. No, when reviled we bless or, or look at Paul's words in 1 Thessalonians 5.15 see that no one repays anyone evil for evil but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone So you see, even when we're wronged whether it be reviling or persecution or slander we are to always seek to do good but to one another that's the territory we were in last week wasn't it it, within the context of uh, of believers and there be times when we are wronged within the context of of the church when we are we bless but then it's also and to everyone and that's those outside that's those not within the not within the, the context of, of the church but to to everyone again the, the idea of going beyond is of going beyond not merely uh, not retaliating, but positively blessing. Uh, we find it uh, in the teaching of Jesus in, in Luke six twenty nine, uh, where he said, To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. And he preceded that in verses 27 and 28 by saying, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. You see, we're to go beyond merely not retaliating when people hate us or curse us or abuse us. We're to love them and do good to them and bless them and pray for them. Nothing less than that is required of us when we're faced with hostility. What we are called to as believers in Christ during our lives as as sojourners, and strangers on this earth is to be to be Christ-like, to, to bless others even when they treat us badly. And it's important to realise that. The New Testament is very clear that we cannot think that because we're called to a, a future blessing, uh, it doesn't matter how we live now. There's, there's a, this demand that we recognise that we've been called to this way of living. Well, next, let's look at what we are called to in the future. We see that at the end of verse 9, where uh, Peter says, you were called that you may obtain a blessing. Now, it's important to be clear that we've been called to a future blessing as well as having been called to a Christ-like way of life now. Um, If you were to take it that Peter was just speaking of, of having been call to Christ-like living now then the logic of the verse as implied by my original uh, set of of points uh, would would, would, uh, there we have requirements, reason and results and and the logical outcome of that is that this future blessing is obtained as a result of having lived a Christ-like life now Peter would be saying, when you're holy and Christ-like, you'll go on to receive a, a blessing. Well, the expression, obtain a blessing, is perhaps not too helpful here. Um, that word, obtain, you know, it possibly suggests, doesn't it, getting something for yourself. It, it, it perhaps suggests doing what is necessary in order to to get something and that might appear to support the notion that this future blessing is a result of or or dependent upon living a Christ-like life here and now and that's quite contrary to to gospel teaching but the NIV translates this clause uh, as so that you may inherit a blessing and that's much better the word inherit correctly translates the, the Greek And it makes it very clear, doesn't it, that this blessing is not something that we earn or deserve. No, we inherit it. It's something that we're given freely. We don't earn it or deserve it. It's an inheritance that we've been called to. We don't obtain it for ourselves. Rather, we receive it as an inheritance. What sort of blessing does Peter say we've been called to inherit? Well, we need to note that the whole tenor and emphasis of Paul's letter makes it very clear that this isn't any sort of earthly blessing that he has in mind. You know, throughout the letter he's consistently referred to us as sojourners and exiles. As such we don't look for an earthly blessing. Our hope isn't in, this, in the here and now. But we're not to expect an earthly blessing. Peter constantly points us away from this world to something far better. So in, in chapter 4, 12 to 13, he's going to go on to say, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But but rejoice in far as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed what are we to, what are we to expect in, in this life trials sufferings or we endure that now knowing that we'll rejoice and be glad when, well not in this life but when his glory is revealed we look forward to his coming his glory being revealed and what's the blessing that Peter says we've been called to inherit well you remember back in chapter 1 verses 3 to 4 he said blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ according to his great mercy he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable undefiled and unfading kept in heaven for you what earthly inheritance is imperishable what earthly inheritance is undefiled and unfading there's there's nothing that this world has to offer uh, of which that, that is true that's why he says it's kept in heaven for you when will we receive that promised blessing Well he went on in verse 5 to say of those that God had caused to be born again to a new life who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. We look forward to the blessing of a salvation that's to be revealed in the last time. Peter then continues in verse 6 and 7. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honour at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That future blessing to which we have been called comes with the return of Jesus Christ when he will be revealed in all of his glory. And we see something of the the wonder of that future blessing when Christ returns, if you look at Revelation 21, verse 14. uh, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, passed away our hope isn't in those former things or what will then be former things as we struggle with all sorts of trials and tribulations in this world what a great encouragement it should be to us to realize that we've been called to that wonderful future blessing so from 1 peter 1 verse 9 we've seen that as believers in christ who have been born again we've been called to live holy Christ-like lives during our sojourn on this earth now and we've been called to a future eternal blessing we've been called to both be a blessing to others now and to receive a blessing from God we've been born again to new life now and to eternal hope in the future it's essential that we see that both are true that both belong together Uh, failure to do that leads to a very distorted view of the gospel message if you concentrate solely on having been called to be a future blessing uh, then it results in unchanged lives now doesn't it 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 results in that sort of attitude it doesn't matter what we do now we can do what we want because that eternal future blessing is, is sure. That's a distortion of the Gospel. The Gospel doesn't teach that at all. But then you know, the fact is that uh, your own holiness and Christ-likeness is not what makes you right with God. Uh, and so worthy of a future blessing. So again it's wrong to just isolate being Christ-like now uh, without holding that in tandem with the future blessing that we look to we're declared right with God by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone but those declared right with God are also made alive to be like Christ Uh, it's summed up uh, beautifully in Ephesians 2 chapter uh, chapter 2 verses 1 to 10 But it continues, but God, so an intervention there, a radical change, complete turnaround. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he, he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him, in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You see, God has... Mercifully, lovingly, graciously intervene to save us and make us alive with Christ. And what's the result of that? Well, he continues, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. That's the future blessing, isn't it? That's the future blessing that we've been called to. That's our sure hope. And Paul goes on to stress that we don't earn or deserve that blessing by saying, for by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And then he says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them so you see he speaks of good works that we are to walk in that's the holy Christ-like life that we've been called to but it doesn't earn our salvation it can't be separated uh, or divorced from our having been called to inherit an eternal blessing but it doesn't earn it they, they go together they hang together and this is all by God's grace And is in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. So may we be encouraged by that eternal prospect that lies before us. We've been called to that. But may we also recognise that here and now we have been called to be Christ-like. And may we live uh, Christ-like lives uh, as God's people.